All right, let's get into the Word of God. And um, we're up to Luke chapter 4. And uh, we're up to one of my favorite bits. I have several favorite bits. Most of my favorite bits of the Bible are actually in Luke's Gospel, which is really brilliant because that's what we're teaching through. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, reads like this. And so this is off the back of last week. Of course, um, the week before we had the baptism in the Jordan. Last week we were talking about the temptations, you remember, and all of that. Um, This follows on from that. Luke 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is some pretty fantastic stuff. This is Jesus um, giving us what I often refer to as the gospel manifesto or the kingdom manifesto. This is Jesus setting out his stall. He's telling anybody who wants to, to hear, who wants to pay attention to this, why he is here and what the, what if you like the plan is, what the, what the agenda is for him and for the kingdom of God as it establishes itself on the earth. Um, he's in Nazareth and, um, that's of course his hometown and uh, home territory and you've got all this stuff going on about you know a prophet not being recognized in his in his hometown um the they you can imagine that the crowd listening to this would probably not receive him particularly well in fact a few verses later on um you know they they actually want to do for him and uh you know they they're clearly not impressed by at least some of the things that he had to say, or actually something that he didn't say, but we'll come to that in a moment. Um, it's the custom in the, the, the synagogues, or at least it was the custom in the synagogues, uh, that um, in the service you would have some prayers and then the reading from the scriptures, uh, usually something from the law and the prophets which would be prescribed. They would have a, a kind of a timetable for those things, and then something else, uh, you know, um, probably again from the prophets, which uh, was not prescribed, which you could actually pick out which bit of scripture you wanted, and you would, whoever was doing that, they would, they would, uh, allow any kind of competent and able person to, to share something in the synagogue. Um, they would stand up to read the scriptures, and then they would sit down to teach. That was the custom. So there's nothing kind of weird going on there, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He, um, what does it say there? He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath just want to say you know and um, I'm kind of looking at the empty seats here and those are who I'm preaching to at the minute but actually church is important 
Jesus went to church. I mean, okay, it was called the synagogue, but Jesus went to church every Sabbath. That was his custom. That's what he did. Because he understood the importance of being connected. He understood the importance of being together with believers. He understood the importance of coming together to worship God and to hear from the word of God. And that's, if it was important for him, how much more important is it for us? Yes? So let's just log that and let's move on into the things that Jesus said. So Jesus quotes to us from the prophet Isaiah. He reads the scroll, reads from the scroll where it is written. First of all, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Jesus' life was marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's very easy. Before I really realized what was going on in John's Gospel, it would be very easy to see Jesus doing things in Mark's Gospel, in Luke's Gospel. It would be very easy to see Jesus doing things and think, well, he did that because he was God. You know, these things, these miracles, these healings, these wonderful things that go on, um, he could do that because he was God. But actually, that's not the truth of it. Because the Bible teaches us very clearly that when Jesus was incarnate, he had set aside what um, the writer to, where is it? I can't remember now, is it Philippians? Philippians 2, that's it. Uh, The writer to Philippians says, and that would be Paul, wouldn't it? Um, says that he set aside the glory of heaven. What, what does that mean? Is that he didn't stop being God, but that he kind of set aside the, the power of being God, if you like, so that he lived totally within the framework of humanity. And the things that he did that make us sit up and pay attention, the miracles and the healings and all of those things, were worked through him by the Holy Spirit. And Luke wants us to see, actually, in all of these things, that you and I, as spirit-filled believers, should be engaging in the same sort of ministry. This manifesto wasn't a job for one man. This, this calling, this kingdom agenda was not designed just for Jesus. But actually, it's for all of us. And that we as spirit-filled Christians carry the responsibility of seeing this worked out in our lives and in the lives of people around us, in the community around us. We have a responsibility for that. It's inescapable. If you read this with open eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, you will see that it's inescapable. And Jesus' life was marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit working through him. It's the same Holy Spirit that he sends and is poured out on the apostles in Acts chapter 2. It's the same Holy Spirit that in Acts chapter 1 he tells them they mustn't leave home without. Go and wait in Jerusalem and don't leave until you've received this power from God. Why? Because if you're going to engage in the work of the kingdom, if you're going to engage in the building of the kingdom, you need the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and working through you. Are you with me? Okay. And Jesus continues, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What does that mean? Well, being anointed, um, another word that we often use for that is consecrated. It simply means being set apart, being called out. That Jesus has been filled with the Holy Spirit and is the called out one who will minister in the power of the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom established on the earth. And you and I are the same. That actually the calling on our lives is to be, uh, in a sense, separated. In other words, to be different. That you and I are set aside, that as we have given our lives to Jesus, our lives are set aside for his purposes. Our lives are set aside for his work, for his agenda. 
Are you with me? Okay. Do we understand that? Okay. Because now we need to start living like that. That's the hard bit. That actually all this wonderful stuff that Jesus talks about, you and I should be engaging in that. It's not just the work of Jesus. It's not just the work of the apostles. It's not just the work of pastors. It is the work of every believer. That we are filled with the Spirit and we are anointed. We are set aside. We are consecrated for the work of God. It's a bit scary, but it's also very exciting. Don't you think? Two of us, okay. Listen, it is scary because actually if somebody is sick, it can be a scary thing to go and lay hands on them and pray that God will heal them. But when God heals them, it's very exciting. (laughs) Isn't it? Okay, come on. So the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has set me aside. What for? To proclaim good news to the poor. Who are the poor? Well, listen, the poor are quite obviously people who don't have money, people who struggle in life because they don't have the resources that they need you know, to, to live life. But it's not just about being poor materially. It's also about being poor spiritually. That, you know, one of the things that we know about the, the culture that we live in in the UK is that it is spiritually impoverished. We are poor spiritually in this country. People um, have in many ways lost their spirituality because they haven't found uh, ways to engage with it and to engage with God. And we live in a, in a country which is spiritually poor. And our challenge is not just to help people who have no money you know, by giving them what they need, by helping to resource them and support them. But it's also to help them engage spiritually so that they can become spiritually rich like you are. Hello? You might not have thought of yourself as being spiritually rich, but let me tell you, you have an abundance when it comes to, to the things of the Spirit. That, that you have been saved, that you have engaged with God, that you have become his friend, that you get to hear from him, that you get to read his word and have the Holy Spirit speak to you through it. You have been born again. You are different. All the rubbish of the past is swept away in the blink of an eye uh, because of the work of Jesus, because of his blood, because of his sacrifice. And you are spiritually rich and you've got more than enough to give away. Hello? So it's to proclaim good news to the poor. What is the good news? Well, the good news is exactly what I've just said. To speak to people with a prophetic voice that that brings to, to them the good news of Jesus. We were having a, some very interesting conversation last night around the dinner table. And, uh, you know, you can get engaged in theology. You can get engaged in philosophy. There's a whole spectrum of things that you can get engaged in. But actually, what is our job in life? Our job is to introduce people to Jesus because he is the best news people have ever had. He is the, he is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah, come on, somebody agree with me. Is that not true? Listen, if that's not true in your life, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Seriously. If meeting Jesus was not the best thing that ever happened to you, you didn't do it right. And you're going to need some help. And I'm very happy to help you with that. Okay? But Jesus is the best news there is. That's what's so wonderful about Christmas. God 
the, the incredible, almighty, eternal God becomes a man so that we can see something that we can recognize, so that we can see something, somebody that we can understand at least a little bit and get to know and, and find our way of approaching this awesome and incredible God without fear. It's all encapsulated in Jesus. He's the best news you could possibly have. And we are the ones, we are the fortunate and blessed ones who get to proclaim that. Proclaim is a very interesting word. And I'm going to come to that a little bit more in a moment. So um, we are called out, we're the ones to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, proclaim again, liberty to the captives. Now, so who are the captives? Uh, well, we, you know what it means to be held captive. It means that, that somebody exercising a um, superior force has inhibited you somehow, has stopped you from being something or stopped you from doing something, has put you in a prison, has chained you up. Um, and you know we need to see that as not just a physical thing but a spiritual thing as well that many people are spiritually held captive that, that's why we are living in a place which is spiritually poor because people's spirits are held captive they're, they're bound up principally let's be straight about it by sin principally because of the things that they do and they need to find the keys to that jail cell to break out and it's our job to proclaim liberty to the captives. I looked up that word captives in the Greek. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it literally means a prisoner of war. Isn't that interesting? It means a prisoner of war. In other words, that you and I are involved in a battle. That we have an enemy. You know, I don't want to... I don't spend, like to spend too much time talking about the devil because I don't want to give him any foothold or any glory but the fact is he exists and we are in a battle we are locked in a battle with him and people who, who don't know it perhaps unwittingly perhaps some people knowing it and on purpose have got themselves into all sorts of trouble and bound up and chained up um, by the devil because of the way they have lived their lives because of the, the, the things they have done and the things they have said and very often because of the things they have th thought and we get the privilege of unlocking the cell door we get the privilege of breaking the chains it is given to us to proclaim freedom for the captives hello I'm glad somebody's with me Liberty, that word liberty, the Greek word ephesus, means freedom. It means a pardon. It means literally deliverance, forgiveness, or remission. In other words, all of the stuff that has put you in that place, in one fell swoop by the blood of Jesus, gets dealt with and removed so you can break out of that place. I don't know what your experience was like when you got saved, but when I got saved, I felt like a whole world had been lifted off my shoulders, and I felt free. I felt free because I was free. Because the blood of Jesus had cleansed me from all of my unrighteousness. And I had understood it. And because I had met him. Because the chains that held me had been broken. Because the prison that contained me, the door had just been busted wide open by the Holy Spirit. I was free. And I felt free. Anybody else feel like that? Yeah? Isn't that fantastic? And that's what it's all about. Proclaiming liberty and discovering 
that freedom. He also goes on to talk about recovering of sight to the blind. Now, this particularly is one of the messianic signs. One of the things that the Jews were looking for in Messiah would be the fact that blind people would receive their sight. But it's not just talking about the physical, again. So in in the ministry of Jesus, many blind people received their sight. And that was one of the things that made uh, particularly the the Pharisees sit up and pay attention. Because this was a messianic sign. This was a sign that Messiah had come. That we had entered into, if you like, the messianic age. That this was a, a new era because blind people were receiving their sight. But it's not just about people who are physically blind being able to see again. It's also about those who are spiritually blind finding revelation about God and about Jesus. And we are, again, part of that great army of people who are called, who are given the privilege to proclaim that, to proclaim sight for the blind. To, and listen, we should be praying for blind people that they receive their sight, people who are physically blind. But we must not forget that actually most of the people that we deal with day by day in life are actually spiritually blind. They don't understand. They don't get it. Because if they understood, if they got it, then they would come. They would come to Jesus and they would have their lives changed because they would see what it was all about. You'd have to be nuts not to, wouldn't you? You know, if you, if you understand the gospel, if you understand who Jesus is, if you understand salvation and all of those things, then you would be absolutely daft to not want to engage with that. Is that not right? People are blinded to it. They don't understand. And we are the ones who get to speak to those people. We are the ones who get to bring sight to the blind. Now listen, we need some considerable help from the Holy Spirit with this. Because um, I I can tell you from my own journey, and I I think this is is probably the norm, that actually my coming to faith was a mixture of things that people shared with me and work that the Holy Spirit did. And you need both. Hello? Hello? You know, in talking about the gospel, the Bible says, how will people hear if nobody tells them? And it's in our telling of it that the Holy Spirit comes and brings revelation of the truth of it that draws people to Jesus and changes their lives. And you and I are the ones who get to do that. This is fantastic stuff. You know, if you understand this, this is absolutely amazing. You become Superman or Superwoman, okay? You have a set of keys to open the the cell doors with. You have a sword to slash the chains and the ropes with. And you get to help people to see and to understand who Jesus is in such a way that they can engage with him and be saved. (sighs) Come on. This is brilliant. This is incredible. This is, this is the most insane privilege you have ever been given. You get to set people free. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are empowered and anointed, set aside for this work. You get to do it. You get to be the one that leads people into that life-changing experience that changes their life for eternity. Hello? It's incredible. He carries on. To set at liberty... Those who are oppressed. Um, uh, Oppressed 
in this context means those who are bruised, um, those who are crushed, those who are struggling. They are the oppressed. And uh, you don't have to look too far to find people who are oppressed. Pop into the food bank Thursday morning. We'll introduce you to quite a few people who are oppressed. They're beaten up. They're bruised, you know, for, for all sorts of reasons. Go and talk to your next door neighbor. They're probably oppressed. Life has smacked them about a bit. Some of it was probably their own fault. guy who lives down our street, he lives three or four doors down from us, he's in his early 70s, his wife died last week, um, they've been together since school days, and uh, last night when uh, we were going home last night after a wonderful dinner at Wendy's house, and I recommend going to Wendy's for dinner, so if you queue up afterwards to make your appointments, because she's a great cook, um, uh, we, it was quite late and uh, we parked up right at the bottom of our street because you can't park on our street um, and he was out walking the dogs and um, so we're, we're probably five days on from uh, from his wife's death and, he, and he's only just got to the place where he can actually string a sentence together and uh, we, we stood and chatted him, with him just for five minutes um, this man is bruised he is crushed you know, his lifelong partner is gone and he really doesn't know what to do. He needs Jesus. Hello? He needs Jesus. Because he's not going to find peace anywhere else. Because the world hasn't got the sort of peace that he needs. Do you understand? And we're the ones who have the privilege of sharing that. We're the ones who have the privilege of talking to people about all of that. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and then he says this wonderful phrase to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour so uh, let, me, let me just help you to understand this a little bit when the, the Bible uses language like this um, it's not always quite what you think so a year doesn't mean 365 days okay? it means when it talks about the year of the Lord's favour it means we have entered into a new era a new period of time Okay, when um, when the Bible says Jesus was thirty, it doesn't mean that Jesus was thirty, but it means he was kind of in his thirties. Are you with me? So then, it's not kind of giving you that. It's not like a nailed down specific. That's it, because otherwise we're in trouble. Because it's more than a year since Jesus said that. Okay, it's quite a few years since Jesus said that. But he doesn't mean, you know, a, a calendar year the way we would think about it. But what he means is we've entered into a new season. We've entered into a new time. We've entered into a new era that Jesus has ushered us into a, a different place to where we were before. And that place is the, the season of the Lord's favor. In other words, the time when God will look kindly upon us. The time when God will do all the things for us that we've been unable to do for ourselves. The time when God will come and save us and help us and heal us and restore us and do all of those things. A, a, a period when God will um, lean over heaven's balcony and have a proper conversation with us. Are you with me? 
It's, it's the year of his favor. It's, um, it's kind of reminiscent of the year of Jubilee, which uh, happened in, uh, in Bible times uh, every 50 years. And when the year of Jubilee came around, uh, everybody's debts were forgiven, were written off. You know, in Jubilee, if somebody owed you money, you had to let them off. So if you were going to lend somebody money, you didn't do it the year before Jubilee. Because <laughs> you got to Jubilee, and it's all gone. But what a wonderful picture. The year of the Lord's favor. The, the time when all debts are forgiven. When our unrighteousness is written off because of his favor. Incredible stuff. And then, you've got the bit that Jesus doesn't say. Because uh, there's another verse that sits on the end of that passage in Isaiah. If you look back to where you find it in Isaiah, it talks about the year of the Lord's favor. And then it talks about, and the vengeance of our God. Now, this is why I think um, Jesus got some backlash uh, in in the synagogue having read these scriptures because he didn't read that bit he stopped at year of the Lord's favor he didn't read and vengeance of our God why? because he wants people to understand that whilst God will have his day and will have his vengeance actually we're in a season of the Lord's favor we're in a season where that is stayed so that we can get to know God, so that we can deal with the stuff we need to deal with. But you see, if you were a, a, a committed and, and faithful Jew, one of the things that you would understand about the vengeance of God was that it wouldn't be on the Jews, it would be on the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the ones that are in trouble. You know, when, the, when Isaiah's prophecy comes true, we're all going to be the ones standing in the favor of God, and the Gentiles are going to get a good bashing a lot of them are you with me and so when Jesus doesn't read that bit it's quite clear and certainly if you put it alongside the other things that Jesus says that he doesn't think it's time for Gentile bashing and the Jews would have been a little bit upset about that because they've been waiting for this for hundreds of years that for hundreds of years they've been waiting for Messiah to come for the for the the prophecies of Isaiah to materialize for them to be restored to their rightful place as nation number one and for everybody else to get put in their place as those who will serve us. That's what they were waiting for. That's what they were looking towards. And Jesus doesn't give it to them. And that's why they're not happy. And there's a lesson for us in that. That, you know, if you want to judge somebody, watch out. Judge not why, lest you be judged. It's not the time for judgment. It's the time for grace. It's the season of grace. It's the season of favor. It's not the time for, be, for uh, as far as I'm concerned anyway, for telling people you're going to hell, although they probably do need to know that that's the truth of it, but let's be gracious about it. But rather than judging people, we need to be sharing with them the grace of God. We need to be telling them that actually this is the year of the Lord's favor. That all that ridiculously stupid, bad stuff you've spent your life doing can be washed away in a moment because of Jesus. And you can be set free. And you can be saved. And you can have relationship with the God who created you. And you can have a secure eternity. It's the year of the Lord's favor. The vengeance will come later. Are you with me? Okay, so let me, by way of 
rounding this up. I hope at least that I have made it clear that you and I um, have a role to play in this proclamation of the good news. Um, I'm thinking about when I finally get the book I'm working on at the minute nailed and off to print uh, I'm thinking about writing a book about things famous people never said because and listen I, I hold my hand up I am guilty I have said this myself before without understanding and uh, you know each of us needs to understand we don't know everything yet we probably won't know that until Jesus comes back we're all on a journey but this whole thing about you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I have come to understand that's completely not a rubbish. It's normally attributed to Francis of Assisi, who, if you actually read anything about the life of Francis of Assisi, you would know he was never likely to say anything even remotely like that because he spent his life preaching. Hello? And to proclaim means to preach. And whilst it's really important that we give ourselves to the work of looking after the poor and, uh, and the marginalized and those who are struggling and those who are oppressed and do whatever we can to make life better for them, you know, they're not going to find Jesus if you don't tell them about Jesus. A proclamation requires us to use words. It requires us to preach. And let me say, to preach to, not to preach at. And there is a difference. We're not called to get on a soapbox, tell people how awful they are and how good we are and that they should come and join us. Hello? I had a really interesting conversation post-Nativity um, next door this week because some, some of the parents who were at the Nativity up the road uh, came back in here for a coffee afterwards and I'm sitting talking to one lady who's been in the cafe occasionally and um, I've had some very good conversations with and she asked the fatal question. She said to me, how did you, she said, you know, you've been doing this for a while. How did you experience the call into ministry? I'm like, okay, <laughs> you asked for it. And I, I was able to share with her. So for me, my call into ministry was the day I got saved. And, and actually, whether that had been my experience in terms of my understanding or not, actually theologically, that's the truth of it. I was called the day I got saved. I was called to ministry the day God put his hand on my life and revealed Jesus to me. That's when I was called. And so I gave her my testimony. Now, I didn't at the end of it say, and you need to repent, so do you want to get down on your knees now? <laughs> Miserable sinner. Because she's not ready for that yet. Our preaching has to have some sensitivity. We're not preaching at, we're preaching to. We're preaching to with an agenda. Our agenda is to draw them lovingly and gracefully to Jesus. Hello? So it does require sensitivity. We do have to think about timing. We do have to think about the language that we use. We do have to think about you know, how we approach all of this and, and how we pick up the conversation and keep the conversation moving. We've got to think about all of those things. We've got to be gracious. We've got to be sensitive. But we've got to do it. Hello? 
It's not an optional extra. We are going to scrub the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary use words, completely from our language, from our memories, from our psyches. It's gone in the name of Jesus. Because this morning we are going to realize that actually we must use words. Because if people don't understand, they won't accept. If we don't tell people what the gospel means, they're not going to engage with it. We just become the really nice people at the haven. And I've heard this said already. The really nice people at the haven who gave me a food parcel. The really nice people at the haven who gave me a hug when I was absolutely wrecked because my auntie had died. The really nice people at the haven who provide some free space for our kids to enjoy themselves in and sell us a really nice cup of coffee that doesn't cost us very much when we come in. The really nice people at the Haven who put a great kids club on or have a, you know, a nice mother and toddler group. Those really lovely people. That's who we become. And whilst that's really nice and wonderful that we're the really lovely people who do those things, it's a few steps short of what we're called to. Because the people need to realize why we do these lovely things. They need to know that we do this because we're serving a God who loves them and wants to get to know them. A God who wants to change their lives. That's what we're called to. That's the challenge to us. We must use words. We must use them carefully. We must use them sensitively. We must use them gracefully. But we must use words. We must tell people. That's what proclaim means. To tell. To speak. To preach. We must tell people the good news about Jesus. We must tell them that he loves them. We must tell them that he can deal with all the issues and the problems and the, the dark stuff in their lives. We must tell them that he can give them peace. We must tell them that when we get to the place where we you know, understand the language and that sort of thing, we must tell them that he will save them if they turn to him. We must tell them. Now listen, it, it might take a long time to tell them. It might take a long time for them to get told. Took my dad 27 years to get told. Uh, there was me and four sisters, my four sisters, who were for 27 years sharing the gospel, talking about stuff, answering questions. Took 27 years for him to get saved. But we used words. I mean, obviously, he's examining our lives as well to see if our lives match our words, and there's a challenge. But we used words. To proclaim means to use words. So Jesus calls us to follow in his footsteps. He calls us to this wonderful gospel manifesto that you and I are called to set captives free, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to open the, 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 the uh, prison doors for those who are oppressed and who are held captive. He entrusts that incredibly wonderful ministry to you and me and not only that he sends the Holy Spirit to help us to empower us to give us the right words to help us to see to help us to know what to do when to do it I would like I would love 2016 to be the start of a new era in the haven I would like for us together to really grasp that this is 
the season of the Lord's favor. That this is the time when God will come and will do all the things that we have longed for him to do. That this is the season when we will see healing. That this is the season when we will see deliverance. That this is the season when the captives will be set free and people will be restored to the relationship that they should have with the God who loves them. This is that year. This is that season. This is that time. This is that era. It's that era now, but you know, you're not going to, you guys are not going to do anything for the next two weeks, are you? Because it's Christmas. So I'm giving you Christmas off. But 2016, it's the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year when God is the season when God is going to come. But listen, I know God is God. I know God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and he doesn't need to rely on us. But here's the thing, God has chosen to rely on us. The church is the answer to the ills of the world. That's God's plan. That's God's design. And you and I are the church. And it's time for us to rise up and understand that this manifesto is our manifesto and that we have a corporate responsibility. And, you know, if I'm honest, I think we're doing quite well with the corporate responsibility. But we also have a personal responsibility. And that's a challenge for all of us, for every one of us. I include myself in that. It's a challenge for every one of us about how we use our words to help people to see Jesus and to find life. That's our challenge. And 2016 is the year we rise up to that. Are you with me? Okay, let's stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help us because we're going to need it. (laughs) Jesus, it's it's an incredible mystery and an incredible privilege that you would call us to be a part of this incredible, wonderful, awesome work of the gospel. That you include us in it. that, That you allow us to be part of this wonderful thing called the church, which in your design is going to change the world. And today, Lord, I want to say, and maybe you want to say as well, I accept, Lord, the call. I accept the challenge to rise up and to be a part of those people, those who will see the kingdom of God come in this community, those who will see the kingdom of God come in the lives of our friends and our relatives and our workmates and and all the people that we speak to and rub shoulders with we accept the responsibility we accept the challenge we accept the call and I pray Lord that you would help us uh, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit that we would find ourselves in new depths of relationship with the Holy Spirit that, uh, that you Lord through him would just do in us what needs to be done in order that we can be who you're calling us to be because we want to see the kingdom of God come because we want to see the sick healed because we want to see the oppressed delivered because we want to see the prisoners set free because we want this whole community to know that this is the era of the Lord's favor this is the season when all of our debts can be set aside and we can know freedom in the name of Jesus so I pray help us Lord for Jesus sake I pray that the Lord would bless you. I pray that 
as we go flying into Christmas now that you would know the wonder of God with us that you would understand something new something fresh something deeper of the incredible privilege of receiving God into your life and that as you experience that that you would be enriched and strengthened and empowered that you would be filled with vision and expectation and faith and that you would know firsthand, deep within yourself the wonderful supernatural everlasting peace of the living God I pray that God will bless you and do you good in Jesus name Amen Amen